He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going to be silent. Cinderella story. Out of nowhere. Before a great keeper now. About to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to A Good Talk Spoiled, week 35. I'm James Richardson, and this week I'm joined by Barry O'Hanrahan. Hey, Barry. Hey, guys. And also back uh, for the first time for a while, we have Alan Donnelly. Hey, hey Alan. Hey, fellas. Hey, Greetings from Sweden. Um, if anybody wants to get in contact with the podcast, um, we always love to hear any comments or feedbacks on this show or any of the other shows. Um, our email address is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at, uh, at podcast GTS. Um, so certainly send in any suggestions of any items you want to hear or any, uh, feedback about the show. Um, or abuse to the presenters. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All's Lots welcome. of abuse. Come here, Alan. Do you- Alan, do you know how to say greetings from Sweden in Swedish yet? I could, well, I could say, hey, hey. That's pretty much hello. That sounded slightly racist, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> well, that's it, I'm only speaking the local lingo. Uh, Good well, stuff. Move, moving swiftly on before we get, you know, pulled off uh, iTunes or something, uh, which reminds me, if anybody is uh, wanting to give us a rating on iTunes, uh, please do so. Uh, all, all of the, the five out of five stars is always welcome. Um, so look, uh, the usual agenda, um, and I suppose the main topic this week is we're going to get ready for the Ryder Cup and just this day, uh, Tuesday of next week, uh, the 2nd of September, Paul McGinley picks his two, uh, three wild cards. So we're going to have a bit of fun with that this week. But, uh, that's the main topic. But I suppose we always start where, where some people love and some people hate our own games. Uh, Barry, did you play at the weekend? Um, a couple of games, yeah. We, myself and Stuart had our foursomes match play semi final, the the club one, and uh, we didn't uh, we didn't have the most successful of days. Kind of things uh, things went against us, and it was hard to stop them. So we we lost four and three. So our magical run is finished. And uh, well, I backed that loss up with a horrific performance yesterday, and I'm uh, I'm going into uh, just a week of quietness, take a bit of take a couple of days off, and then back at it next week. To be fair, the day that you played. In the match play semi final, it was an absolutely horrendous day. I think the weather, you know, downpour was unbelievable, and there was a lot of flash flooding at times on the course. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was there was uh, there was a bit of standing water to deal with. And I look, it was it was nothing that bothered us too much. It was just kind of the ebb and flow of the match just went against us, and unfortunately, it flowed against us that day. And you know, these things happen. You do need a little bit of luck to win, and we just didn't really have it that day. So. Um, Oh, look, there's always next year. The weather, the weather sounds like, that day, it sounds like it's reflecting your golf game this year, Barry. Dark and dreary. <laughs> that, 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 that'd be a very accurate description, yeah. We, we did go out on Wednesday night, uh, for a bit of a practice, and I played a, uh, I played yourself and Stu in a foursomes, and I played on my own, and you guys played two balls. Uh, yeah. I unfortunately lost, but I think that was mainly because I was playing against two balls for most of the course. Yeah, it was our, our interpretation of Australian doubles for golf. But I was, it was good. It was, I was actually the most fun we've had on the golf course in a long time. It was just a practice round, no competition. It was just good crack. Yeah, we, we had a bit of a skins game on the way in as well, which was a bit fun. Uh, you didn't get to play, Alan, I, I have no doubt, did you? 
No, I'm um, I'm actually undergoing swing changes at the moment, so I haven't had the balls to take it to the golf course yet. I'm uh, still a bit tentative, so so right. off me. I've played in a few weeks now. Fair enough. Well, you, you, I'm sure you're itching when you when you do get back. You'll be itching to play. Um, the Bobby, who is currently not with us this week, um, he's playing the Lord Mayor's Cup, which is a, a fairly high end competition in in Ireland, which is for low handicappers. So we uh, we wish him the very best of luck in that, and uh, hopefully there'll be lots of abuse coming out of it yeah, next week. I think he's off in a sports psychologist session this evening just to get his head right for the match play portion tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I suppose, look, uh, on, on that note, uh, we, we'll move on and start with the uh, the rules-related question. Um, now, I set the question this week, so I apologise if this is either too easy or too hard, but here it is anyway. Uh, Barry, you're leading, I think, 20 points to 16, so Alan, you've still got a bit of a chance to come back here if you if you one point at a time starting this week. So here's the question. In stroke play, a player bends long grass near his ball so that he can see the ball when playing his uh, stroke. A, there's no penalty. B, the player incurs a one-stroke penalty. Or C, the player incurs a two-stroke penalty. And I think by the rules, Barry, you go first. Oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. Yeah, I, w- I wish the question was a little cleaner in its uh, explanation of the situation. I know you're allowed to, take, you're allowed to fairly ground your club. But I think uh, I think the player in this situation is um, being a bit liberal with the rules. So I'm, there's definitely a penalty. I am going to go with option B, a one-stroke penalty. So Barry goes with B. Alan? Um, well, I don't know if it would be a one-stroke or a two-stroke penalty. So I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'm going to presume that the ball hasn't moved. And I'm going to say no penalty. No penalty. It's time. I have to roll the dice. I need. I need to make up some ground. I think that's your motto this year, isn't it? Yeah, and it hasn't worked very well so far. <laughs> well, the last couple of weeks we've uh, we've we've done it now, or will I wait to the end? Which would you prefer? Would you like me to put you out of your misery now? Go for it. Uh, go for it. Yeah, let, let's let's go, go on, for it. Yeah. Well, neither of you are correct. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the player incurs a two-stroke penalty for improving his lie. Oh, uh, yeah. So I was way off. You, uh, you, 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 were, you were close. I was halfway, halfway there, but halfway to nothing is no, halfway to nothing is nothing. So um. and, and I was rooting for you, Alan. I thought, great, Barry's got a wrong here. Maybe he'll go <laughs> two-stroke penalty, and you'll claw it back. But unfortunately, that's a missed opportunity, like Barry's put on the 18th. Um, Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so look, uh, last week's competitions, and uh, I suppose there's no better place to start than the Barclays Championship. Um, Hunter Mahan wins um, by two strokes over Stuart Appleby, and uh, uh, I'm going to get the guy's second name wrong, so I'm just going to call him Cameron, and Barry will fill in the surname. Tringale. That's the one. And Jason Day, who all finished at uh, 12 under. I had a bit of a financial and personal interest in this competition on the basis that Stuart Appleby is my uh, top 200 pick and for the last number of weeks since I did the top 200 I've been putting a fiver on him each way to win and this week I had him at 400 to 1 so I was gutted to see that uh, Hunter Mahan ended up uh, holding out at the end but it was a good tournament, Barry. You saw quite a bit of this, I think. Over the uh, yeah, the I, I watched a good, a good bit of it last night now. And um, 
yeah, good down the stretch. There was plenty of birdies out there. Um, there was a good double storyline of the guys trying to make it into the top 100 who weren't in the top 100 for, just to get through to next week and increase their uh, payday and the number of wheelbarrows they'll need to take all the cash from the FedEx Cup. But um, Hunter Mahon was really impressive down the stretch. You know, five birdies and seven holes um, gave him the luxury of um, being nervous on the 18th and having a bogey. On, on what I must say was was the toughest hole on the whole course. I think it was it was playing over par for the day. So um, yeah, fair play to him. He, it's been coming for a few weeks now, um, and uh, our own Bobby Donnelly spotted that last week. He called it out in the show. Yeah, well, he he tends to have a fairly good uh, uh, idea about this. Alan, uh, did you get to see much of the golf uh, over in the Barkies? Yeah, I, saw, I saw quite a bit of it last night, and um, I suppose the impressive thing was that Mayhem actually went out and he won it. It, it was. We've seen a lot of tournaments over the last few months where guys are falling over the line. But as Barry said, he actually he played very very well on the back nine. His driving and his iron play were top notch. Um, and the other guys, the other guys kind of couldn't keep up with them. Um, I was actually surprised. I was surprised to see Jim Furyk on Saturday made a good putt on the last hole to uh, stay in the joint lead overnight. I, I thought he would miss it on purpose, so he get rid of that heck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've not been able to close out tournaments when he's leading. Uh, but a, a few of the guys fell away. But in fairness, Mayhan just kind of Mayhan just stormed through the field at the end. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I was probably one of the uh, only people out there that was hoping that, you know, his shot on uh, 18, uh, the drive on 18 was going to go so far right, uh, and then it did, and I thought, great, I've got a miracle power here, so hopefully the next one will clip a tree or something, so he ends up taking a nine, and then Stewart will be into a playoff, but he, he played it well, didn't he, you know, playing out, playing sensibly, he knew what he had to do, and he, you know, as you say, he went out and he did nothing that was, he went to win it. But he didn't make sure that he didn't get a big number on the 18th. Isn't that really what needed to happen? Uh, yeah, he, for? he gave himself the luxury, you know, and he, he did all the hard work and gave himself the an e- well, not an easy bogey because he made it slippery enough, put down the green, and you know there was still a chance, you know, that Jason Day could make an eagle and take it to a playoff. However, you know, unlikely it was. I was a little disappointed, um, Jason Day. I mean. This is something he's got all the talent in the world, and we we were talking about this in Viber last night. With and um, Bob brought it up. He said, you know, "Do we think Jason Day should win more for his talent?" And um, I think it's a cracking point, and I really do think he you know, he should win more. He ought to win more. I don't think what held him back this week was uh, his opening round seventy two. He's just playing a bit too much catch up from the guys on day one. He's six shots off the lead. Yeah, the the, the story I thought of the weekend and was was Ernie Els and some of the old guys, but. Alan, do you, do you agree with Barry's point about Jason Day? Should he should he be winning more? Well, I think he definitely should be winning more. He's definitely like he's he's one of the best players in the world. But I suppose that it's a kind of a tricky one because he never really throws away a tournament and he never really bottles it. He always just seems to there always just seems to be someone who does something a little bit better than him on the back nine. Like he, he I can't remember him ever having a meltdown in a tournament to throw one away. But like, there's no doubt that I suppose for a guy of his quality, he should have he should have won a lot more at this stage. Do you think that Jason Day needs just to get a big tournament win under his belt, like a real, really big one that you know maybe a major that makes him then feel that he's in that elite group of golfers that when he turns up to any tournament, he's there. I'm here to win it, rather than you know if I have a good week, I may win it. He probably does need a. He probably needs a good stroke play. Like he obviously won the WGC, the match play at the start of the season. But um, 
you're probably right. He probably does need a big strokes win. He, like you could you could see him being a guy like David Duval, who was just all, always had all the second places, and then when he actually broke through, or even like a Jimmy Walker, you know, when they actually win one, they just go on a run and start winning a few. So you you, you think he could he could well be one one of those kind of guys. He seems to be moving in the right direction. He switched, he switched putter back to an old, uh, one that he used last season or earlier this season, this, for this week, and he was second in putting, in the putting stats this week, so, um, definitely, it's now, now's a good time for him to strike while the iron's hot, you know, he's trending in the right way, so, um, and he's had good results before, um, at the Deutsche Bank, which we'll go, we'll talk about later on, so, and he's, he's definitely, he's gotta be, he is one of the favourites for that, so, um, We'll have a look at that later on in the show. Yeah, in, in terms of the other runners and riders, um, Ernie Els, it was nice to see him kind of turn back the years after that horrendous uh, three or four putt that he had down in the British Open. He, he seems to have found a bit of form with that putter again, Barry. Yeah, he's killing it with the putter at the moment, actually. He's, uh, he, he's having great, he had great stats again this week. I can't, I remember reading it earlier, don't have it in front of me right this moment, but, um, He's smiling again on the golf course, and it seems to everything seems a lot more relaxed. You know, the the tension's gone, and his golf's just gone. It's it's great at the moment. It's good to see. It's good to see the big easy taking it easy. If you know what I mean. That that's a cheesy line, Barry, but we'll allow you to have it. Yeah. I suppose. And <laughs> um, in terms of Phil Mickelson, uh, you just don't know what you're going to get with this guy. I, I was watching it live when he hit it straight up into the hospitality tent, and I thought to myself. Okay, you know, I, you know, it was short enough par four hits the driver. If people haven't seen it, certainly get onto YouTube because this cracking high def footage from the PGA Tour uh, website. He ends up hitting it off the cart path and it lands up on the temporary hospitality tented area. Mm. And out the side of it was where they, they were kind of serving drinks and all the rest. And the ball lands on it, and instead of playing it back wherever he was going to get the the drop from, he decides to play it off the hospitality <laughs> tent. It was just there, there was a part of me that said he he's not going to do this, is he? He's just going to go up. But the atmosphere that must have been on that hospitality tent, like there was people fist pumping him. One guy tried to offer him a beer. You know, it was just it was super to see. Did you did you see it, Alan? I was the same. I was watching it live. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't just hit it off a portally on the way to the green or something. There was no, there was no way he was ever going, he was ever not going to play it off the, off that line. I'd say if there was a tree in front of him, he still would have played it. Well, it he, was, uh, he ended up, uh, he ended up putting it, the first day he puts it in the bunker, he, he doesn't uh, get up and down and I think he takes a bogey on it, um, mm. you know, so, and he only just missed the pot as well for, uh, for, for the bird, uh, for the par. But, uh, you, you think lightning wouldn't strike twice, and yet again, <laughs> it does. Saturday, he ends up going into the exact same position into the hospitality tent, just slightly further left. It's and out on the balcony, yeah, yeah, just perfectly between the tables as well, which means he doesn't have to move the ball, he's got this, all the space to take the swing and everything. And he had a tougher shot the second day from it, because the tent was actually in the line of his, uh, of, of the, between the hole and himself. So he ends up playing out, he, he makes the green this time. You see, practice makes perfect with Phil, you know, yeah. he knew what he had to do day two. And, uh, he ends up powering the hole, um, you know, which... I say somebody- I'd say somebody picked up his ball and brought it up into the hospitality tent and put it down there because they wanted to see him play. Well, I, the, the one thing, you know, and, and the way that he reacted over the course of it, I thought was just, it's it's real typical Phil. You know, he was fist pumping people. He was, you know, joking. He was laughing. I saw a kid come over to him. He was fist pumping him. 
But I then read a story that he was having such a bad day on on, on Saturday, and he was going to miss the uh, the subsequent uh, cut for the Sunday. Oh, yeah, the made cut did not finish. Yeah, yeah. that he uh, that he he put a wager with a with a spectator on the eighteenth uh, for twenty dollars, and uh, at four to one that he was in the rough, and if he made birdie, the guy was going to give him. Uh, five dollars or something if he yeah. uh parred that was it was a push you know push. Yeah. uh you know the words better than i do yeah. and that if he bogeyed it it was twenty dollars to uh to, to, the, to the to the spectator <laughs> and uh he ended up uh, behind the green and uh two felt he could make the birdie but decided to pay out anyway before the chip uh, so obviously he's just got to a point now where he just he's having a bit of fun <laughs> out there I mean, it's no wonder, like, Phil's one of the most popular players on tour. Just that kind of charisma and interaction with the crowd and that just... I just he's like the Lone Ranger or some kind of comic book hero out in the golf course, you know, that he will take on that shot from the, the balcony in the hospitality area and do crazy things like that. Well, this is the question I wanted to pose to Alan. Imagine if Phil and Bubba Watson were in a group together. How much a dick Bubba would look like playing with Phil because he'd be doing that and Bubba would just be shouting about water on the club face. No, I, big time. I totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> I, think I think Bubba would look like Bubba would look like a dick playing with anyone. In fairness, I honestly think Phil would be asking his caddy to pour water on his club face before he takes shots just to just to go against Bubba. Like, but it, it, look, it's great to see because there there is one thing you know there is you have to kind of see the human side of golf and it is it's 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 a sport where. You know, personality doesn't always come across. So it's great to see things like playing off the hospitality tent and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, those little side bets going on. I think it's great for the game. Oh, that's great for... One, it's one. <laughs> Perfectly put, yeah. We need more of that, actually. I think it's great. So more more strangely placed hospitality areas with um, maybe different levels of kind of grass or artificial grass. Well, like, they had the long drive competition in the PGA Championship. Maybe this should be, you know, a tournament where they have to find the most obscure place to play a golf shot from. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Or, you know, play, you know, play a shot to the 18th green. Kind of like in Caddyshack, isn't it? You have to play it out, out from the indoors of the clubhouse. Yeah, I, I suppose going back to a slightly more uh, serious part of it, the, the U.S. Ryder Cup players, you know, they're certainly lurking there in the form guide. Furyk, Kuchar, Fowler and Reed were all... Uh, well, fairly high up in the tournaments. I think all of them were top top ten, top nine. Um, we've got to be concerned, I suppose, that these these guys, the core of their team, um, are certainly hitting form at the right time, Alan. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's a lot of guys showing good form on the state side, and I think that's that's kind of coupled a bit with the um, uh, some of the European. Like, there's obviously good guys on the European team that are in very good form, but there's also guys like Keimer and stuff who are. Alarmingly starting to slip into bad form, so it's it's not it's not as cut as cut and dried as it looked about six weeks ago. No, and I think yeah, I think it's definitely something that we're well, we're going to be talking about the Ryder Cup. I'd say a lot over the next couple of weeks, and that's something we'll we'll come back to. But it's it is interesting that the the US guys are coming into form, and as you say, the others may be slipping slightly out of it. And moving then, I suppose, onto the European side of of, of the pond, and um, the Czech Open, and um, now. The uh, the Czech Open was one that I did not see a whole lot of. Jamie Donaldson wins, and I suppose for him it gets him into the Ryder Cup and it, it secures his spot, which is great for Jamie. And I suppose most of Wales are probably now delighted that they have some representation um, at the Ryder Cup. Did you see much of it, Barry? 
Got a little bit of it on um, throughout the week, and I mean, I thought the thing I took the most from I mean, it was nice, nice for the Czech Republic. It was the first time it was staged. All the commentators said, you know, they, were, they felt very welcomed, and it was a very well run show. So, you know, it's good. You know, golf spreading back out through Europe, the European tours back expanding again, kind of going to different countries. Um, it's it's great to see. Um, ultimately, I thought the best thing about the week was that Jamie Donaldson proved that he needed to step up, put in a great performance to lock down a spot. He not only did that, he went out and he won the tournament, which shows he's got the cojones to do it in you know in those high pressure situations. And that's the kind of player you want on your Ryder Cup team. Yeah, I, I have to say I was impressed with it. Um, you know, and and there was a few other players that were were on the leaderboard. St- Stephen Gallagher was tied seventh, and I think we'll we'll come on to him in much greater detail down the line. But, um, is it is is it a competition that that you would have really be that bothered about, Alan, or is it just is it another one of nearly what you would call a second tier event when the Barclays have pretty much the top hundred and seventy five in the world? And really, the second tier of of golf is is playing out in the Czech Republic. Yeah, I think it was very much a second tier event, and I think I think the only thing that actually saved us was that there was points up for grab for the Ryder Cup. I'd be I'd be amazed if guys like Donaldson and Gallagher were playing in it if they weren't scrambling for points to get into the Ryder Cup. Um, so I think that I think that was the only thing that elevated it above. A, 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 a low level European tour event I didn't to be honest I didn't see any of it and Donaldson was kind of running away with it at one stage as well so it wasn't uh, it, it certainly didn't catch my eye yeah well I suppose what has caught my eye over the last couple of days is a bit of the golf news that's been going around and I suppose the first thing to be said is that the real big news that broke just before we started recording today which is uh, Tiger Woods splits from uh, Sean Foley as coach and um, He's been with Sean Foley now since 2010. Um, this is Tiger's third coach, Butch Harmon and Hank Han- Han- Haney. 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 Haney yeah. um, you know, were his previous two. Do you think, Alan, that this split from Sean is really down to the back injury and the way that Sean really tries to get players to swing the ball that puts more pressure on his back? Yeah, well, I think you know, like, I certainly saw a, um, a tweet from Justin Rose earlier on who said that he was of the opinion that Foley was trying to get Tiger to do, thing, do things that he couldn't do, um, which would suggest that he was putting too much pressure on probably most likely his back. And I, I know we've we've referenced a few articles before that says that Foley's methods do put pressure on the back. Um, but I, but I suppose aside from that, also his form, like his form is just desperate for for a guy of his quality and his standard, it's very poor. Like he's been with he's been with Foley for four years now, and he's missed a few majors through injury. And but the ones he has played, also he hasn't really had he hasn't really been within a shout of winning them. So he's um, I think it's a combination of factors, but it's it's a change that's long overdue. His his driving is just absolutely atrocious at the moment. Well, I just wonder if, um, and, and this is my own personal view on, on, on it, is that, you know, sometimes a break is as good as a holiday and that perhaps he needs to shake it up and, and hear a different voice in his ear. And I definitely think the back problem is a concern to him. And um, I just wonder whether or not he's, he's kind of blaming Foley to a certain extent about it. But it's only a breaking news story tonight. And I, I'm sure over the course of the week, there'll be plenty of comments about kind of recriminations. Well, I think I think it's an ideal time for him to make the change as well because 
he's obviously he's obviously out of the game now for four or five months so it's time to actually go and hear a few new ideas and work on a few different things and you'd, you'd like to think we'll get we'll get a better Tiger Woods back in 2015 well very very quickly Barry and before we move past it because it is a big news story so I think it's worth asking this question and do you think Tiger has been watching what has happened with Ricky Fowler and Butch Harmon over the course of the year and has thought, I want a bit of that, and might be making a phone call to his old friend Butch and say, let's rekindle the love that ended in 2003? I think it's impossible to ignore what Ricky Fowler has done this year. You know, It's been highlighted that he, he scored the best out of all players at the majors, and unfortunately for Ricky, he didn't win a major. He's probably kicking himself at this stage, but... Um, Look, I think it would be great if Tiger went back to Butch. I mean, we all know he'd be he'd be solved or as as good as. The only thing is, I wonder whether Tiger's Tiger's ego will get in the way. I mean, would it amount to like in Tiger's head him going back with his tail between his legs and admitting he but made a bump. mistake? <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> did not consider that when I was writing that down. Um, I mean, he he could, he could do. He could do a hell of a lot worse than going back to the Harmon clan, and we've all seen Claude Harmon and his amazing analysis and uh, success as a coach, and um, especially this year on Sky Sports. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I think like, I'd love to see Tiger back with the Harmon, um, especially you know, particularly Butch after his success this year. So we'll, we'll kind of update it as it goes along, as and when we hear news. Yeah, as I say, it was a breaking story, but we we thought it was definitely one that had to get mentioned. And I suppose uh, another thing that has to be mentioned is. Um, uh, a quick congratulations to G-Mac on the birth of his uh, his baby girl. And uh, I suppose if you're going to have bad news, you might as well throw it out with the, the good news. And that is that he's also leaving Horizon, his management company. Um, Alan, is, is, do you reckon that this is just solely about money at this stage? We've, we've heard a long time about Horizon being one of his best mates. And now the split with the fairly public acrimonious split that they've had from, from Rory... Do you think that this is uh, maybe dipping too far into the back pockets of these golfers? Could well be, yeah. It's, um, I suppose the, the bigger and bolder they get, the, the more money that they're handing over to these guys, and they probably they probably see, they probably think it's a lot easier if they manage it themselves and they make a lot more money for themselves. Um, I suppose it's one that kind of came out of the blue because, as you say, GMAC always used to say kind of how good the Horizon guys were and how loyal he was to them and so on so it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shock alright but I, if Rory's doing it and GMAC's doing it it's it seems to be the kind of end thing as you as you get a bit more high profile that you kind of run your own things it seems like a successful formula that's uh, you know Horizon did lead the way in this you know to become a boutique you know management firm so they could spend more fo- you know put more of their focus on their players and but it, it, this this kind of idea of having your own management company for yourself, you know, it's in different sports as well. So you have uh, Federer and Nadal. You know, Nadal does this himself, and they reckon he saved something like three point eight million in fees to a management firm last year alone. So, um, it's certainly a way of keeping keep, keeping the keeping your own private life life a little bit more private as well. You have a lot more control about what gets out to the media and to the world. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think the the interesting thing that you say that it's a uh, Horizon's becoming a boutique or has been a boutique for, for firm. I, I think it's very much so because I don't think there's many players left. I think they only have probably two. Uh, I think Fisher well, and, sure. and Lowry. Yeah. I think are the only two. So it's going to be very boutique uh, if you only have two players in your stable. So they'll do remarkably well to hang on to those two now as well. I think you would you would imagine. Um, 
the two two biggest names they had leaving them. Now, I mean, I know those guys have gone on. They haven't just switched firms. They've gone a different route. route but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's not. It's it's pretty it's pretty dark and rainy at the moment for Horizon. Yeah, I, I suppose talking about dark and and rainy, um, <laughs> that probably again leads on to uh, what I thought was one of the uh, the most blatant uh, attempt to cheat. That I've seen on a uh, on a golf course since uh, I played around the golf with uh, Barry O'Hanlon and Chella Choi. Which occasion was that? Well, there's many an occasion. And Chella Choi is playing in the Canadian Pacific Open on the LPGA. She hits a putt, misses it. It, it horseshoes out or lips out, and 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 is only probably about what three, two, two, yeah. two foot away. Not even. She she blatantly marks it. As, as lackadaisical as I've ever seen, picks the ball up and moves it a good inch to the left. Now, she marks it on one side of the ball, lifts the ball, switch, you know, rolls the ball in her hand, and then puts the ball down the other side of the marker. So it's, I mean, this is all in HD as well. It's just, it could not be more obvious. You no, know, and, and, and I have to say, I, I think there's a joke here somewhere about, uh, you know, every inch counts when it comes to a woman, but um, the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but Barry, Barry is just spitting out water. But look, she 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 got told about it. She's about to be uh, disqualified because she should have had a two-stroke penalty, and she subsequently then decides that uh, she's going to withdraw. Alan, do you think there should be more punishment for the fact that? She kind of she didn't hold her hand up about this, and uh, she's now decided to withdraw rather than taking the disqualification. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of surprising, all right, that there's something there's something funny going on there. But oh, it was just horrendous. It was so blatant. Like she should be. I think we were saying before it was Elliot Saltman who was found guilty of doing the same thing, and he got quite a sizable ban. Um, was it Lloyd or Elliot? There's always confusion about that, and one of them gets abuse. For the other one's misdemeanor. Uh, we might as well throw the two of them into it. Why not? One of them. <laughs> James just uh, threw me under uh, the bus, so you know it's just it's a thread. Well, that's it. Well, look, uh, well, I, don't, I don't know how I don't know how she gets away with being able to put it down as a withdrawal and not a disqualification. It's a bit strange, all right, but it was it was pretty horrendous. Look, she deserves. I mean, in my mind, she deserves a lengthy ban for for being just so blatantly. You get you know. Oh, I can't get it out. I'm so I'm so it gets, frustrated. It gets, it gets against the, the rules, it's, it's just it's everything. Everything's wrong with it. It's it's just it's disgusting. Um, I hope I hope the LPGA really stand on her on the for this one. And a uh, another armchair viewer referee saw it. Uh, it was phoned in, I believe. But uh, well, I'm glad I'm glad that person was paying attention and rang in this case. And normally, I'm not in favour of these armchair viewers, but well, uh, this is this is just so so ridiculous. More it's not dealt with. But I I thought the the most important thing was that there was one viewer of a regular LPGA event out there, which I thought was quite impressive. Aside from yourself, I, I only watched the majors. Uh, right now that we've lost our two female uh, listeners to this podcast, uh, we're going to move on to the main topic, um, and that is the Ryder Cup is now not that long away. It's only a month uh, to go until <clears throat> we tee it up in Glen Eagles. Um, next Tuesday, the 2nd of September, uh, Paul McGinley gets to finalise his team and pick his two, three wild cards. Um, so what we decided this week was that we were going to have a very quick look at the nine that we assume are going to be uh, 
the nine that get in on the normal qualifying, that being Rory McIlroy, Henrik Stenson, Victor de Busson, uh, Jamie Donaldson, Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose, Martin Keimer, Thomas Bjorn, and Graham McDowell. Now, there is an asterisk between, uh, beside McDowell, I think, isn't that right? But for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to assume that he's in. Yeah, there's one small thing that Gallagher can win or come second this week and bump McDowell out of the automatic spot. So um, that, that's the only real change that can happen, as far as we, we, we can understand. Yeah, so what we've decided to do is that I'm because my golfing knowledge is not uh, on a par with uh, Alan and Barry's, that we've decided that I'm going to be Paul McGinley for the argument of this um, yeah, this, this, this doesn't mean we, James or us, we believe that Paul's knowledge is, is lower than ours at all. <laughs> uh, so what we've decided is we, we, we did this... <laughs> We did this through basically a draft and uh, Alan got to pick first and then it went Alan pick one, Barry pick one. So neither of you could pick the same player once the draft had been done. And we're going to make the case. And you're going to make the case for why I should pick your player or players uh, over the others and we're going to try and then come to a decision on who the three wild cards that I would pick mm. and then whether or not you would agree with me. So, Alan, you had the time cost victory, and you got to pick first. So, uh, who was your first wild card? Okay, well, this mine isn't going to be very exciting. It's going to be very a very boring first pick, but I am going to caveat it by saying, as vice captain, if you don't pick this player, I am going to resign my position as vice captain. Um, don't give me the option so, there now, Alan. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, my first pick is Ian Poulter. Um I just think he's he, he's Mr. Ryder Cup, as they say. He's the new Mr. Ryder Cup. Um, inspirational figure. His like his record is crazy. He's won his last seven games in the Ryder Cup. So between four balls, four sums and singles, seven wins in a row. He's obviously won twelve from fifteen, so he's an eighty percent win ratio. And uh, I know obviously there's a few doubts over his form. But he's still he's still cocking up a few twenty five or top twenty fives. He had four top twenty fives at the start of the summer, and more importantly to me, most of them were in Europe. So obviously he's he's struggling over the states, but he is showing a little bit of form in in Europe. So he I think he has to be in there. I don't think it's even worth the discussion. I think we'll just move on to Barry's first pick. Well, well, hold on now. I'm I'm, I'm the captain here. Don't you get you know on that you little chariot and run too fast there now for a second and. Um, Let's look at his form over the last uh, the the last season. He's he's played only eighteen events up until this week, and out of those eighteen events, he has had no wins, no seconds, no thirds. Two, he has finished between fourth and tenth, and he's missed five cuts. Is that kind of form that you really want to be bringing into a Ryder Cup team? Doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Do you, do you think just the bulging eyes just uh, you know make all that form moot? Yeah, yeah. I think I think is I think he I think he's developed an aura now in the Ryder Cup where players actually players the American players hate playing against him because it's not only obviously his record but it's it's the fist pumping it's the shouting it's all this kind of stuff that just drives the Americans up the wall and I think he can play with he can play with a number of different players. Um, and as I said before, he's an inspirational character, so I think he has to be in. I think he's number one. Well, in, in relation to the uh, the the way that the, the, and I suppose this is a question that I'm going to pose to both over the course of it. 
if form in the regular season isn't overly relevant, is form in the majors over the last two years the real indicator as to why somebody should be sent to the Ryder Cup as one of the wild cards? Barry, what do you think of that? I don't think necessarily, no. I mean, you can have you can have a run of golf courses in majors that just don't really suit that player too well. Um, they could be coming back from injury. I think... Look, this is why it's not an easy decision and McGinley looks like he's aged a few years in the last few weeks or maybe it's just from being stuck in the studio with Mark Rowe and Sky Sports all the time. Um, look, I, I think, look, there's nothing, you know, good performances in the majors, definitely a plus in your uh, column for your resume to try and get a captain's pick. Well then, based on that theory, uh, your first pick is who? My first pick is Lee Westwood. And then my follow-up question is, Lee Westwood's... Uh, Major reports this year are not great. He had a tie. He had a seventh in the Masters. He missed two cuts, and he was tied fifteenth in the PGA. Is that why you've decided that your the majors aren't relevant because you're making your case for Lee Westwood? Well, yeah, I'm gonna sit in the fence on that. No, look, I think I mean Westwood. You know, top ten in the Ma- Augusta. That's not bad going considering his putting was um, kind of let, always lets him down. Even though he had a good week that week, I mean he's top twenty in the WGC Bridgestone on the US PGA recently. Those are that's some good recent form. Um, he's had one win this year back in April, albeit a, kind of a, a side event, the Maybank Malaysian Open. And I, he, think, I think that's so far off the main tour that it doesn't really count. A win is a win. Um, and he just has a ridiculous Ryder Cup record. Um, he, his singles record now, admittedly, is not great, but his team record is phenomenal. And he has had, he's got such a great Ryder Cup experience. He's he's as good as playing at home when he's up in Glen Eagles. He's in the British Isles. He's going to have great support. I I think he's well, a, I think he's a lock. I think well, he's a lock. Before he's a before we decide that he's a lock, his his record is something that you seem to think is really. You know, wonderful. He's played in seven Ryder Cups, 33 matches. He's won 16, lost 11, halved 6. His point total is 90. He's only a 57% uh, point ratio, uh, point win uh, in, in the Ryder Cup. We have He wins uh, more than he loses. That's well, the kind of player no, no. you want in your team. Well, we have Ian Poulter is sitting there with a 72.7. Why should I be taking uh, Lee Westwood over Ian Poulter? You know, I'm fighting for my own players, but I can't disagree with Poulter. I, I'd have him on my team, first pick, every time. Alan, Lee Westwood. Well, just a qu- yeah, I have a question on Westwood. Obviously, um, Barry's talking up his form, but at the last Ryder Cup, he lost 7-6 and six to Mickelson and Bradley. He uh, he got absolutely carried by starts against Stricker and Woods. I don't think he even contributed on a whole when they won one up. He lost 3-2 and two in the foursomes. He can't play five games anymore because he's not—he's he, not fit enough. And uh, I suppose the, my key question is: what, what, What's Lee Westwood's key strength, Barry, in his game? Pudding. No, it would definitely be his you know, his approach play, his long, you know, his mid to long irons. There, that's where one of his strengths okay, so are. This year he's 101st in ball striking in the US Tour. So if that falls apart in the Ryder Cup, he's nothing to fall back. Oh, yeah, on. but we're not. We're playing the Ryder Cups in Scotland this year. Uh, well, I, well, I think it's a good indicator. I think he's out. I, I, I can't have one. Okay. Well, All right, m- moving on. Who have you got pick number two? Before we move on, just before we move on, before Lee Westwood, um, is it a concern or should I be taking a issue with the fact that he may not now play until the Ryder Cup? He's out of the FedEx. He's not coming back to Europe to play any events between now and then. 
Should he have been getting on a flight and going to the Italian Open this week if he's fighting for a wild card? I agree, Captain. I agree. You, you'd agree on anything right now if I, if I pick your players. You, you got. You do have to question his motivation. But um, do you mind while Alan talks about his next player if I go check Westwood's Twitter account to see what he's up to? Yes, uh, that's fine. Okay, um, I'll do that. And Alan, you can you can get on to pick number two. So number two, then, uh, Alan. Who's your number two pick? Okay, so I'm brewing up my second resignation if this player doesn't get picked as well. Uh, my next pick is Luke Donald. Okay. Yet again, I suppose, a player who's slightly out of form, but he's still playing this week in the States, so he has a chance to redeem himself. But I think you need to look at his his team record. He's played four Ryder Cups. He's played two Walker Cups. He's won all six. Uh, his record in the Ryder Cup, 110, lost four, drawn one in four appearances. So he has a 70% points record. Um, of players with 15 matches played only Ian Poulter has a better record uh, he's won all his foursomes matches and all his singles matches in Europe so that's a K-Club and Celtic Manor and I think one of the really key things is that he's a very very good partner for Sergio and I, at the moment I can't really see a really good match for Sergio in the team Rory and I, no, Add their best codes now. Come on, they're high five and when you know Rory's hand on Sergio smackdowns. Sergio just seems to like seeing Rory play well. No, so I, I, I think I, can't, I, I just can't see a way where you wouldn't have Donald in your team. Well, I can see many reasons why I wouldn't have Luke Donald in my team, but that's on a personal basis. But well, you shouldn't it, be captain then. <laughs> if if I if I was uh, if I was looking at Luke um, and the point that you make uh, or the point that Alan makes, Barry, which is that I should be looking at partnerships, is Luke Donald somebody I should be looking at to see who I could partner him with in one of the nine that's already there? Is that something I should be taking into account, or should I just look at purely his Ryder Cup form and ignore the fact that he's not played particularly great this year? No, he's gone through swing change, changes though this year and some weeks he seems to lock it in and others he doesn't so that will be a worry whether he can actually pull it all together on the week but he's 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 got experience there Um you'd fancy he could do it and he is a, he, he can be a very solid golfer in the team play. And I think a key point about Donald is when they were in the, real, in the shit in the last Ryder Cup he went out first against Bubba in the singles and he turned him over Turn him over three and two or two and one, I think. Um, so he's a guy you can rely on when you when your backs up against the wall as well. Yeah, but look, any of us could beat Bubba Watson these days. We just need to do a rain dance before we play against him. Yeah, or have people clicking cameras? Oh yeah, yeah, some cameras but would be good. You talk about experience, and your next pick has absolutely no experience at the Ryder Cup. And no. that person is this person is Yost Lauten. So. Um, <sighs> <laughs> I, I can hear the derision from Sweden and that wasn't even coming through the feed uh, that wasn't even me that was the Swedish people laughing at that decision he's world number 50 uh, he's played 18 tournaments so far no wins no seconds two thirds two That's top tens this year isn't it this is this year and three missed cuts so he, he does have a bit of form and, and in fairness I also out of you know fairness to all the players I also look back at last year he had 25 tournaments last year in 2013 he won two came second and won five top tens and four missed cuts so he doesn't have the worst form in fairness in, in what's you know in fact out of all of the players that are on the sheet in front of me that you guys picked he's actually got some of the best form but no form in the Ryder Cup is that not did, a real did you, worry did you hear that Alan all of that all those lovely stats no so, no form look, in the Ryder Cup 
which is a big problem. No Formula Rider Cup, but he does have um, six team event represent, you know, caps as such, not Rider Cup caps, but and he was a member of four winning teams in those. So he's been in, you know, the World Cup, the Sevy Trophy, the Eurasia Cup. So he does have experience in team team um, situations. Hits the ball a long way, and when he is on his game, he's a birdie machine, and that's the kind of player you want in the Ryder Cup, a birdie machine who can just overwhelm the opponent in a quick burst. So, um, Leighton for, uh, for a rookie pick. Well, this is going to be an issue that I have in relation to it, not disclosing anything for later in the discussion, but there's already two rookies in the team. Uh, you've got Victor Dubuisson and Jamie Donaldson are already rookies. Do we need a third rookie, Alan, in this team, or is that a rookie too far? We probably do need a third rookie, but not Barry's one. <laughs> have you got one then? I, I, I have one, but um, <laughs> will I go on to my third pick? Oh, I think so, yes. Go on. Okay, well, so my third pick that I'm proposing is a bit of home bit of home representation. I'm going for Stephen Gallagher. Um, I think he's he's in good form. He's at six top 20s in his last 12 starts. He obviously did well last weekend. I think the way I look at him as well is I think he's he's built a bit in the Montgomery and Paul Laurie mold. I think he'd be he'd be good in the heat of the battle. He'd uh, he he wouldn't the pressure wouldn't get to him. Unlike I think Barry's third flaky pick that's coming up, um, and he has he has good form as well in the Sevy trophies and so on. So I, I, I'm putting him forward as, as my rookie pick. So yeah. Stephen Gallagher's your rookie pick, Barry. Yeah. Your rookie pick. Trying to just get rid of that. Gallagher is not, you know, hasn't hasn't done it last week. He had a chance to really step up in a weak field event, and he had a terrible Sunday. You know, he's making excuses about some days it doesn't happen in the course. You know, some days you have to go out there and make it happen. And recently, Mark Warren from Scotland did that in Denmark by taking the maiden Denmark event. He shot a 66 in appalling windy conditions on the Saturday. In 2007, he won the Johnny Walker Championship in Glen Eagles, which, you know, kind of syncs up course-wise. You know, we are going there for the Ryder Cup. He's had tied 15th in the US PGA recently, top 40 the Open Championship, third in the Scottish Open, again in Scottish weather conditions. He's 20th in the race to Dubai. He's He holds the winning putt for the Walker Cup team in 2001, and he's been on... A couple of other team events, the Royal Trophy, the Sevy Trophy, and the World Cup. So he's experienced in the team event. He's Scottish. He's got the home support. I think he's... I mean, get him in there ahead of Gallagher, because Gallagher's old, over the hill, and a bit of a choker. Well, I've, I've barely heard any of those events. Uh, but, Alan, <laughs> uh, what do you think of uh, uh, Warren or Gallagher? Captain, I'd just like to actually question the heart in Mark Warren as well. Why didn't he play last week? If he's, if he's really itching to get into the team... Why didn't he go make the trip over to the Czech Republic and play over there? I and also scouting Glen Eagles. One other thing that worries me about him is in the Scottish Open in 2010, I always just think back to when he was three shots ahead with five to play and he blew up. I think he has a tendency to, to crumble under the pressure and there's no bigger pressure than the Ryder Cup. He's out. He's gone. Oh, I think that's four years ago. People mature in that time. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly haven't, but I mean, I hope, I hope golfers you know, on the Pro Tour would have... Well, so where where are we at? Well, they're, they're your six. And before I narrow it down, um, I want to throw a couple of other names out uh, to you. Um, Francisco Molinari, why was he not on your pick, Alan? Uh, lack of form, lack of... Uh, he's never really done it in the Ryder Cup. Um, I, I, he just... 
I don't know. I just what I he just didn't fall on my radar. Just there wasn't enough for him, and there wasn't. He's too. He's too. He's too average this year. He's he's not really. He's, he's not gone on. He's not pushed on in the tournaments to really kind of say, "Hey, how's it going? Look, I'm here with a win or an almost win." He's just he's getting the mid twenties. You know, a couple of top twenties here. It's it's just not um. It's not extravagant enough for a Ryder Cup. You need somebody to just to hit the hot streak and kill it, and he's not doing that at the moment. Miko Elinen. That's not a bad pick. I mean, he's had he's had a good season this year. He's had one win, one runner up, three top tens, four missed cuts. Just, why, why why isn't he in one of your teams? I think I, I think he's hit a spurt of form over a few weeks. I don't think he's consistently done it over the season, and I just he's. I, I suppose I only had room for one rookie in my picks, and Miko Ellen I just I wasn't convinced of. I like that idea of the spirit of form. I just don't think he leaps ahead of those first timers we have, like Yo and I just I'd have Louton in ahead of Illinan, and that's I think that's why he just falls down. If there was a subs bench for the Ryder Cup, Illinan's definitely uh, he's he's got one of the, the spots, maybe a water boy spot or well, you know third <clears throat> reserve. I suppose, like one of the things that shows, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, being Paul McGinley for the moment and and being the captain. You could make a claim for quite a lot of players. There is a dearth of of talent in this European mm-hmm. that you know you can pretty much say that this name or that name, and the reason why he should be in the team. I suppose decision time for me for the moment, and um, I think that uh, I have to agree with 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 Alan, and I think you are tentatively in agreement that Ian Poulter has to go. I, I don't think there's. Any disagreement in, Go in to that. Scotland? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he has to be there. I decided that I will take one uh, rookie with me, um, and that then left a decision between Lee Westwood and Luke Donald for me. And I suppose what I did was I looked at the players that are going to the Ryder Cup, and I looked at <clears throat> kind of pairings and people who I would be putting together, and. Unfortunately, Barry, I have to say that I am actually going to move Lee Westwood out. Um, I have questions over (laughs) his uh, physical ability to play that amount of golf over the course of the week. Um, I think that we need to be blooding new players. I think that I have an issue with the fact that Lee Westwood isn't going down to the Italian Open. Um, I think that he should be trying to show Paul McGinley that he really wants to be on the team. Did check his Twitter account. He's <clears throat> faffing about a bit at the moment. I, I just think that if, you know, I, I also have to say I saw a quote from him today that said, uh, I won't play again until the Ryder Cup. Now, unless Paul has given him some indication that he's definitely playing, but if it was me and I was Lee Westwood or I was Paul McGinley, I'd be telling him, get your backside on a flight to Italy. Give me a top 10 and yeah. give me a reason why I should be putting you in the Do team. Do you think the only play he's going to be doing at the Ryder Cup is an exhibition in the Tented Village then? <laughs> Possibly. So I, I'm taking Lee out of it and I am taking Luke Donald. I think that he fits better into the into the team mm. that, that needs to go. Um, it leaves me with, with one. and I'm, I'm not overly convinced by, by Gallagher, Warren, Illinan or uh, Molinari. And... A convincing argument for all of them hasn't quite been made, in my opinion. I am going to throw out one name who I think will just bring a bit of zing to the whole thing. 
and that is uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez, who <laughs> is well. Now, this do you is, just want a drinking buddy captain for the week? Is no, that what no, you want? No. Well, this this is my theory. Right, I've looked at both the European point list and the world point list, and Miguel Angel Jimenez averages out at better than all of the other choices that you've put forward. So he's been doing it both on the European tour and over in the the US or the world world rankings. So I think that his just fun, his enjoyment, um, you know, I, I just think his that phenomenal selection of cigars and well, wine. I just think that he, he could be a player that I, I'd love to see. But do you, do you think? It's, do you, I mean, just just to be devil's advocate here, or your vice captain, do do you think is do, do you think he's long enough off the tee for Glen Eagles? It's going to be you know wet, windy Scotland. It's going to, it's a big golf course. Um, do you think his hybrid play is good enough to stand up to that? Yeah, I I, I think that the the one thing I was looking at was I I was happy with the fact that there was two uh, rookies in the team already, and I was kind of taking it on the basis that a little bit more experience. I just don't like the attitude. I would have taken Lee Westwood, I have to say, if he had gone to Italy. If he went to Italy, I would take Lee Westwood mm. in the team. Um, but I, I do have a real issue that he, he isn't going. Um, but look... I mean, they're bending over and doing the stretches in front of the Americans. And stuff <laughs> we'll put them all off anyway. Uh, well, that's look, it. I, he'd be a, he'd be a brilliant, maybe almost a sideshow, but it might actually be a successful sideshow. And certainly... He would bring the wilds, the wild card, you know, pick. Yeah, I, I think also the thing about uh, Angel, he's won this year as well, which you know helps. And and I just think that he's a guy who's on the European tour and plays on the European tour. And the one thing, and I say this both as uh, in this point as as Paul McGinley and just generally, I hope whoever gets picked uh, next week, and perhaps uh, Alan, you might have a view on this, but my personal view on whoever gets picked next week by McGinley I just hope that they have loyalty to the European tour um, and that is one of the things that I would like to see that some of the picks or so whoever the third pick because I think we're probably safe to say Ian Poulter and Luke Donald is going to be picked by Paul McGinley next week mm. whether Lee Westwood gets in but I just would like to see some loyalty to the European tour should more weight go to that side of the list than the world points I, w- I wouldn't hold your breath to be honest, Barry or James, on that. Um, I, can, I, I see your point, but I think at the end of the at the end of the, the day, these guys will do whatever suits themselves best. Uh, final question, Barry. Uh, news just breaking that uh, Rory McIlroy was out partying in New York with his model girlfriends that he seems to be changing on a weekly basis. Slips and falls while doing the ice bucket challenge. I can't play in the Ryder Cup. Who do you take? Um, well, it depends how Bob gets on this week in the Lord Mayor's. <laughs> um, I, I'd take a rookie. I, I, I'd actually, I'd take a Scotsman. I would because it's a home event in Scotland. You got to take Gallagher or Warren. You have to take a Scotsman there. I think. And the very last question, then, Alan, to you is: um, Can't take a European player. Who do I take? Uh, Ernie Els or what other? non-European player do I take instead Scotty all the way Adam Scott just for his dashing good looks right well look we'll find out next Tuesday uh, Tuesday the 2nd we'll see what happens uh, it's going to be interesting and there's going to be a lot of debate over certainly the last one um, 
We're going to move very briefly and very quickly on because uh, we're running slightly out of time. Uh, Deutsche Bank open next week. Henrik Stenson is defending. Uh, this is the next round of the FedEx. We're down to the top 100 now. Um, anybody got any interest in this? Anybody looking at any bets? I've spent all my week looking at uh, Ryder Cup picks to pitch to the captain. Um, of which you got none in. <laughs> which I've got none in, yeah. So what a waste of time. I could have been spending money out of my time looking at the field. I have, look, it's, it's guys who are coming into forms. A few snuck into the top 100. This is a tougher golf course than it has been. Um, although Henrik Stenson matched the scoring record last year. I think watch for him again this week. He finished with like seven birdies on Sunday. Um, he's gone back to a course where he won last year. He has been showing form. Forget the little blip he had the other day. Um, I, I, he's my bet this week. Okay, um, Alan, uh, I'm going to give you probably the dud of the two events over the course of the weekend. The Italian Open, it's last chance saloon for the Ryder Cup guys to get in. Um, realistically, it's only really Gallagher or GMAC that's that, that's there. Uh, have you got any interest in this or are you even going to put a bet on or look at it at all? Absolutely zero interest in it. The only, thing, the only reason I'll probably watch it is I believe Harrington's playing it. Um, so it'd be nice to see him have a good run, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that either. Sure, you never know if he has a good run. You never know; he might be an outside pick. Good friend of uh, Paul McGinley for the for, for a wild card spot. Well, look, um, that was a bit of fun. I, I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of, of of debate that could go on about it, um, and we, we probably could have done about four podcasts. We are going to do a huge uh, review over the the next couple of weeks of the Ryder Cup and uh, or preview, I should say, over the Ryder Cup. So it's really only the first gambit. Um, it should also say that the Deutsche Bank uh, tournament this week in America actually starts on the Friday, not the Thursday, because of the bank holiday. I think it's either Labor Day or whatever, hmm. the end of their summer holiday. Um, uh, Labor Day. Labor Day. Yeah. So don't, don't freak out on Thursday night if you don't see any golf on Sky Sports here. You're not, not losing your mind. It's just the tour taking a little change. Yeah, so look, that that would be interesting. It would be nice to get something on Monday, uh, a little, little extended yep. golf. Um, well, look, we did the, the rules-related question um, answer earlier. Uh, you both lost, um, in case anybody missed it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you guys for uh, what I think was a very enjoyable debate as to the wild cards. We'll see who Paul McGinley actually picks next week and we'll have a bigger discussion, I'm sure, again next week about it. Um, Thank you for everybody who's listening and we will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye, Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.